The Ponch Stevenson Show PonchStevenson.com Episode 201 Thursday, August 23rd, 2012 Welcome to The Ponch Stevenson Show This is the Paunch Stevenson Show, paunchstevenson.com, episode 201. I am Rob, you are Greg. Yes. And as usual, we have celebrity deaths. I knew that was coming. Let me pull up the site here. We have... Sally Ride died. She was the first Le- female astronaut. Leonard Nimoy? No. Look, that's Leroy Neiman. We, we, that was... Oh, my God. So who is it? Leroy Neiman, the painter. Who's, who's that? You don't really you really don't know who that was? No. He was I the, know Leonard Nimoy. Leroy Neiman would do a lot of, like, sports paintings. Oh. And when he would paint it, it would be, like, all, like, colorful colors. Like, he, he'd paint, like, a guy swinging a bat. But it was like he the the, the the painting would be made up of like ninety like a, different colors, like a rainbow in the background or something. No, it was just I don't know. Right, anyway, Rodney King is dead. We didn't mention him. I don't think so. In June, <clears throat> born March uh, March born April second, nineteen sixty five. He died June seventeenth, twenty twelve. Forty seven years old, Rodney King. He was on the, um, what was the name of that Dr. show? Dr. Drew. Yeah, what's the Celebrity Rehab? Yeah. With uh, Gary. Jeff Conaway. <laughs> He's dead, too. There's do- like you were saying the one time, didn't you say that Dr. Drew didn't have a very good track record with this this show? No, it's a joke. They all wind up dead anyway. It's a joke. Uh, we did Ernest Borgnine already. No, we didn't. <coughs> yes, we did. Ernest Borgnine died in the middle of us recording oh, the previous episode. That's right. I got home and I, I got home and I called up Rob. I was like, oh, by the way, you know, Ernest Borgnine <laughs> died in the middle of us recording. All right, well, let's do him. Born January 24th, 1917. Wow. Died July 8th, 2012. He was 95 years old. Died of kidney failure. Kidney failure. Which is basically just a really old age. Ernest Borgnine from the TV show Airwolf. Yes. (laughs) And what else? The Dirty Dozen. um, Poseidon Adventure. Many, a lot of war movies. He was also in this that horrible um, movie with William Shatner, Tech War. No, there was that the movie back in I don't know the seventies. It was like some cult. Ernest Borgnine was the head of the cult, and they were chasing after William Shatner, and then they they caught up with him. It was just horrendous. Huh? Never heard of it. I don't. I don't uh, know all right, so Ernest Borgnine. Man, we're gonna set a record here. Born May 26, 1951, died July 23rd, 2012, 61 years old, died of cancer. Sally Ride, astronaut 
and first American woman in space when she flew on the space shuttle Challenger. Wait, in 1983, didn't the Challenger explode? In 1986. So how did she live? In, it exploded in 1986. She went up in 1983. <laughs> all right, all right. Actually, you know, she was the first woman in space, American woman, because the Russians had a woman in space like 20 years earlier. <laughs> was that her punishment? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're going to throw you into this outer no. space? What is it, the honeymooners? <laughs> to the moon, Alice! <laughs> all right, uh, so Sally Ride died. Yeah. Uh, born May 19th, 1941, died June 26th, 2012, 71 years old, died of cancer, Nora Ephron. She was a screenwriter. Celebrity. Screen, well, no, good, look, she, she, uh, wrote the movie When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless Ugh. in Seattle, uh. You've Got Mail, which was awful. They all uh, My Blue Heaven. She really, she did My Blue Heaven? As far as I know, yeah. Really? Hold on, let's... Let me verify this here. This is Steve Martin with the... The horrible Italian accent. It was like the Chicago accent he was using for New York gangster. He had this horrendous, like, pompadour. Oh, produced... Oh, yeah, written by Nora Ephron. Goldie Hawn was an executive producer on that? You know what? There should be a movie. Let's do a Kickstarter page. Wait, wait, wait. What? It says originally, Steve Martin was cast to play Barney Coopersmith, which is the role Rick Moranis had. Okay. Like the FBI, the straight lace FBI guy. Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to be Vincent Antonelli. What? That would have been awful. <laughs> Could you imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger doing an Italian accent? Hey, I got to make you an offer you can't refuse. Hey, forgot about it. Hey. I'm going to take up my fist and ram it into your stomach. It's, it's so I'm a cop, are you idiot? Well, that was the thing. Instead, he did Kindergarten Cop. Oh. I'm Detective John Kimball. I'm a detective. So, okay, we're going to make a Kickstarter page. And it's going I to be... We're going to raise a million dollars, and we're going to pay Steve Martin and Steven Seagal to both star in a movie, both doing bad Italian accents. <laughs> what do you think? All right, so let, let's try it out. It'll be the adventures of Steve and Steve. Yes. Or double Steve. Double Steve. There you go. Uh, we'll try it out. You'll be Seagal. Be, uh, uh... Hey, Steve, where you been all day? I don't know, Steve. Uh, I'm not really sure right now. Were you out uh, making some trouble? Uh, I don't want no trouble over here. Absolutely not. No, I'm going to I'm gonna take this uh, piece of salami and beat you with it. Uh... I'd rather have arugula. Don't be a bad guy. Be a good guy. Hey. It's me, Gino Felino. Hey, one million dollars. Okay, all right. Well, Seagal will do it for a million. I don't know about Steve Martin. He's, he's kind of wealthy. Who else will do it for one million dollars? Sean Connery. Damn it! All right, and then finally, finally. No, no, not finally. You can do it. All right, do all this right. one. All right, not finally. 
born February 1st, 1938, died July 24th, 2012, 74 years old, Sherman Hemsley. Well, Jefferson Moving from on up. the TV show The Jeffersons <clears throat> is dead. Yeah. Sherman. I like Sherman. You know, the problem with Sherman Hemsley was he did like he did the Jeffersons and he did Amen. Yeah. And then like he would appear in like cameos. Right. Like this guy was funny. He was a good actor. Why? Why couldn't he like get work? And then he like after that, he was constantly cameos. Like he'd appear on like. Married with children, like playing himself. <laughs> right. Like, come on. I think he was on the Howard Stern <laughs> show a lot during those years. Okay. Well, what else was he going to yeah. do? All right, so who else? <clears throat> oh, well, Sylvester Stallone's son died. Frank Stallone? <laughs> it's his brother. <laughs> Sage. Sage. Why? How old was he? Uh, he was like 36. What? what? Why? How did he die? Well, they're not exactly sure yet, but they basically found him like a week after he had dead in his room. What his in in the bedroom in his parents' house? No, in his own house. <laughs> Look at this guy. Well, the thirty-six was, years old. Yeah, the thing was, he was, um, you know, like, like his whole life, he was like thin. You know, he was uh, in good shape, and I guess the last few years, he was like a blimp. <laughs> he was like in bad shape, and he was he. They said he lived like Howard Hughes. And then now they're thinking maybe he, because he, when they went in the room, the cops were like, well, there's just dozens and dozens of empty pill bottles. But they weren't the pill bottles that, like, you would, you would get from a pharmacist. They were the pill bottles that a pharmacist would get. Like these giant bottles. So they were thinking maybe he was dealing drugs. I don't know. That's why you don't do drugs. But he was in, um, he was in Rocky V. He played his son. No. The son of Rocky. A lot of people hated that movie. I thought it was okay. Daylight. And he was in Daylight. It was just a it was a small role there. Which a lot of people also hated. That's about it. Yeah, he didn't do much else. Um yeah, it's just unfortunate. I mean it's unf- I, I I still don't know why he didn't play his son in the in that newer that Rocky they did like five years ago. Well, because he was probably 300 pounds. Like I know, he wasn't at that point. And he didn't want to leave the house. I don't know. Sage Stallone, mm. born May 5th, 1976, died, they're estimating, around July 13th, 2012. 
Yeah. <clears throat> it's not good when they estimate. No. All right, so this is a little, uh, um, I don't know if you heard about this. It's funny. Um, Bruce Springsteen was holding a concert in London. Oh, in yeah. London. Yeah, I heard about that. I think it was maybe it was in Manchester. All right, it was London. And he's holding a concert, and like his concerts always go real long. So he, at the end, he brings up Paul McCartney. Oh, that's right, little. That's me, Paul McCartney. And so he brings up Paul McCartney, and I mean, you know, they had a, before going in, they had a curfew. Don't ask me why they have a curfew in this area, whatever. But you know, I'm playing with Bruce Springsteen. All right. So they had a curfew. It was like it, once it gets this curfew, that's it. It's no more it's, concert. It's Maka and the Boss. <laughs> And they got right to the end there, and they just turned. They literally pulled the plug on Paul McCartney in England. Well, and Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. They've been like, born in the USA. I was born in UK. <laughs> uh, there will be an answer. Can't buy me love. And, and then, like I the don't light know the words to "born in the." All I know is "born in the." No, USA. I was. It was "let it be." Oh, I. I thought you were still doing the Springsteen. Oh. <laughs> let it be love. Then they turn out and the lights go off. <laughs> hey, where, hey, I can't I see nothing. I can't see nothing. Where's all the lights at? Don't anybody know me in this country? I'm Bruce right. Springsteen. I'm the Southern New Jerseyan. <laughs> I'm dancing in the dark. Well, here's the thing. Here, where where you know you, Greg, and and I live in New Jersey. Why are you making a face? Because you said you, Greg, as if there's a third person. No, you being Greg and I being Rob. Where we live in New Jersey, the concerts are at the Meadowlands. And well, the Meadowlands. Yeah. No, I'm not just there. No, I mean, but, but I'm saying the Meadowlands is in this out of the way area. Yeah, but even bars like it, people don't. You know, people don't live in houses directly next door to the Meadowlands, wow. so they could do whatever they want. Here in England, in, in London, there. it's like, huh? There in England. Yeah, there in London, people are living, like, right across the street from this place, so people are complaining about the noise. Oh, well. But, to that, I, look, I understand, okay, people are complaining about the noise, it gets noisy, I understand that. But then why did you move there? Why did you buy a house right next to a rock arena? Well, somebody's got to live there. Right, but then don't complain. It's like if I buy a house directly next door to a garbage dump, and then I complain <laughs> about the smell, I'm the idiot who bought the house there. True. Idiots. Next. Um, the other thing I was going to talk about since we're talking about video games in this episode was... Um. Uh, I saw this documentary. I saw it online. I think I saw it on Hulu. And it was called High Score, I believe. It's from like five or like six or seven years ago. And it's about this guy. Um, I think he's out in Oregon, and he plays like arcade games for the records and all that. And so he's been. He's been trying to beat the like the record of Missile Command, which was set by this guy in when he was a kid like 30 years ago, some other guy. But it requires him to play for like 40 hours. 
So basically, with the whole, it was a good documentary. It wasn't that long. It was it was short. And basically, the whole documentary is this guy kept every keep making. He keeps making these attempts to break the record. And every time, after like five hours, twelve hours, twenty hours, he doesn't he doesn't lose. He doesn't die. Just falls asleep. The arcade machine crashes and resets. Ah, maybe on purpose. No, no, he just it's he just can't get an arcade machine, a missile command. Remember, missile command's over thirty years old. Yeah. He can't get a machine to like stay running. He has to blow on it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like the, the like the one time this guy had it, his friend that like knows electronics, he had the machine up. The machine was up for days. Yeah. Fine. This guy goes to play it after literally like three hours, dead. I think maybe he's like he's okay. If you turn on the the arcade cabinet and it's standing there and it's running for like a week straight, but then if this guy like maybe this guy is wearing some kind of shoes or something that he's standing there building up static electricity and finally Uh, it just just zaps the static. It fries the thing. It's not. It's not the static. It's mostly. It's probably loose connections. You know, solder that goes away and because just loose yeah, connections. Think about it. All these old Donkey Kong machines and Pac-Man machines, they still work. Yeah, but here's the thing: They're Space Invaders. Those are just as old. I understand that, but here's the thing: like when you're going to a place, let's say Yestercades in Red Bank, which we hope people are visiting, if you go to there, all right, the odds are at the end of the day they're shutting all the machines down. Yeah. And then turning them back on. So they, it doesn't have to be running. Or, oh, I'm in the middle of a Pac-Man game and it resets. How many times has that happened there? Nobody even notices. You know, I mean, it's just no, not I'm something saying, you notice. I'm saying in all these high-score contests, like King of Kong and and whatever other contests they have, like people are able to achieve these high you know, scores on the old video games. Well, the King of Kong, you didn't have to play as long. That's true. Uh, yeah, maybe now right. with the, right. where the record is, I think it's Hank Hank Chin, <laughs> yeah. some guy in New York, a plastic surgeon, is the record holder now. But it's absurd. And speaking of that, we were watching this YouTube video. This Canadian guy, they did this video this year where it's some some guy who was this big Donkey Kong player also, and, and, and they're all complaining about how the King of Kong was fixed. It was fake. They lied. It wasn't a documentary. And what well, is this so, called? So these people came out with their, with their um, follow-up, or, or I guess like their answer to the King of Kong, and they're calling... Seven years later... Seven years later, and they're calling it the perfect fraud man. And basically, it's this it's this weirdo in Brooklyn who collects naked art. It wasn't just him sitting in front of a camera whining about how uh, Steve Weeby really shouldn't have the high score and blah blah blah. Wine, wine. Yeah, wine. but he's not the only one. It's not just him. It's some guy from Canada with dreadlocks. He was the guy complaining the most. He's like, well, you know, uh, let me tell you, um, you know, uh, Billy Mitchell lied and Steve Weeby, they're all liars. <laughs> but every one of them was a liar. Walter Day. Yeah, oh, Walter Day is the biggest fraud on the planet. <laughs> Who cares? It's like, look, I, it was obvious <laughs> that 
in the King of Kong. It was obviously scripted. Well, not scripted. Yeah, but, but it was but ridiculous. It was uh, edited in a way that... It was tongue-in-cheek. Uh, yeah, obviously. I mean, you know, they were, they're like, well, you know, uh, there's a segment where uh, the, in, in the movie they're saying, well, Billy Mitchell drives by. He doesn't even want to stop at the restaurant where Steve is. That's all a lie. It's a lie because he didn't. He didn't just drive by. He parked or something like that. So right. then... So then they like they cut to some one of Mitchell's friends and he's like, "Yeah, he drove by because there was nowhere to park. <laughs> he had to drive into the other half of the back of the parking lot to park his car. God. That's why he drove by and didn't stop." It's just stupid. This is look. This the, is what happened. The only look. The only thing the criticism I would have of the King of Khan was at the time Billy Mitchell was not the record holder in. Donkey Kong, and he hadn't been the record holder in a long, long time. Like, he set the record in the early 80s, and then stopped. Like, he would play Pac-Man. He was, he was playing other games. Yes. But he was, like, into Pac. He was playing other games, or not playing, you know, games for records. And around 2000, some guy in upstate New York, Tim, uh, Tim Serby, or something like that, I think that's his name, Tim Serby, Zerby, he broke the record of Mitchell in, like, 2000. Okay. But it was like, okay, well, it's like, you know, at the time, who, who cares? cares? Who cares? Right, nobody Any cares. of these records. So he broke the record. And then, like, years later, you know, like, five, six, four or five years later, Billy, um, Steve Wiebe goes on Twin Galaxies, and he's looking around. He's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Um, you know, he's like, look, I just wanted to play the game and submit it so I could get on this website. You know, I, I wasn't, like, looking for fame and fortune. I just want to be on the website. Because it's funny, like, if you go on the Twin Galaxies, well, first of all, you have to you have to log in. It's free to see a lot of the stats. They have records. Let's. I'll give an example. This is why it's insane. I don't know how that they even judge all this stuff. For They have records for, like, every game in existence. And not only that, they have those, like, say, Contra for NES, not even Arcade. They'll have a, some kind of record uh, with no help, record with uh, the Konami code, right. a record two-player, record without losing a life. It's like nine million records. And in a lot of these, you'll look at the list, and I'm not kidding you. I'll just give you another example. Um, let's say in a kind of an obscure game, uh, I don't know. Uh, Gunsmoke. Yeah, Gunsmoke. Let's say, like, hardly anybody submitted any records. You go on there, and the record on Twin Galaxy, it, it'll be like, you know, John Jones submitted the record for, like, 30 points. Right. Like, literally, he turned the game on, right. played it for a minute and a half, stopped, <laughs> recorded it, sent it into these nuts at Twin Galaxies, and they put that on there. And he's the high score because no one else bothered to submit. Or it'll be a game where the high score will be an obscene amount of points, and then maybe there'll be a second place with that many. And then the rest of the top ten is, again, guys who just like, eh, here you go. I played it for five minutes, and their name's on the list. Wow. Anyway, if you're if for whatever reason you are interested... If you go to YouTube.com and search for the perfect fraud... Yeah, but that's not the whole one. Oh, oh, it was a part two. Yeah, yeah, it's on here. Yeah, whatever. I don't know why anybody would, but we're... King of Kong. We're updating, uh... You know, we're just giving updates. King of Kong. What else? I'm I'm done. It's enough for me. All right, I have a question. (laughs) 
you know how I like to philosophize and theorize here on the Paunch Stevenson show. So I, ha- I, I, I came up with another thought. Tell me what you think. You know how if, um, if, if a, a human has a baby, and then the, you know, the mother is nursing the baby, taking care of the baby, and there's, there's like some kind of bond, right? And let's say if a dog has a litter of puppies, and, and the puppies nurse on the mother, and the mother takes care of the puppies, there's some kind of bond, right? So what would happen, like, there, there's just a natural bond. What would happen if, let's say, you know, we got a dog and put the dog in a room with no interference or anything. Just put the dog in the room and the dog had puppies, a litter of puppies. Let's say the dog had four puppies. And right away, immediately, we snuck in a newborn human baby in with the litter of puppies and and then, and then just left the room and observed. I don't think that's a good idea. It's would very unsafe. The, but would the mother dog end up nursing this human baby, like taking no. care of it as if it were, it's like, oh, this is my baby. Or would the mother dog know, like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. Uh, the dog probably would, well... It, it's a bad example because dogs have a different relationship with people but that's than what, they that's do with other animals. What do you mean? Dogs, because I, I, dogs treat they look to people differently than they do other animals. Better or worse? Well, they just look at them as the you know the master or whatever. So if it's a dog, the dog would have been socialized with people. It wouldn't. It wouldn't do that. But dogs have been. I mean, you see it all the time in zoos. A lot of times in zoos, if if they have orphaned like tiger cubs, any kind of mammal, tigers, um, you know, lions, you know, a- any of that kind of stuff, they wind up nurse. They'll take like a dog, like a house dog, and nurse the cubs because it's mammals. So that you know, the milk is pretty much. But what about a, what about a human baby? No, that that would be insane. No, there have been instances. No, no, I'm not, I'm not there saying have been sh- instances. Hang on, there have been instances where like gorillas and chimpanzees have somehow come across like babies or infants <laughs> or something, and you know there've been cases where they've kind of like you know you know treated them not as a child but like you know treated them as a as a young you know ape. All right, well, I so guess. I'm, I'm not saying we should do this. I'm just wondering what how would the dog react. Well, it's unfortunately there's been a lot of cases where people leave the child, leave their children unattended with dogs, and the dog, you know, kills the baby. What? Yeah, it's happened many times, not on purpose, because the dog will grab the baby. Oh, I see. And you know, dogs have a bite. They'll, you know, they they crush the windpipe. Well, they want to lift up their puppy, so they think I'm going to lift up the exactly. Yeah. All right, I got you. That's Um, why you should never leave a baby with a dog unattended. I have some whatever happened to's. Whatever uh, happened to Terry Hatcher? She used to be huge, right? She was on the Superman show. Lois and Clark. Yeah, whatever happened to her? Well, she was in real the Desperate High, uh, Desperate Housewives. Oh, she was. Yeah. Oh, all right. So there, there. Which you they go. made a video game for, which you you weren't fond of. How could there be a video game? Game of everything. Okay, whatever happened to Lauren Graham? 
the mother on the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Where are you coming up with these? She's, I think she's done another. I think she tried another some kind of sitcom. It didn't work out. Okay. Whatever happened to this guy, for better or for worse, a few years ago was gigantic, especially on Comedy Central. He was all over the place. David Tell? Now, vanished. <clears throat> Whatever happened to Carlos Mencia? Ugh. Like I said, for better or for worse, whatever happened to Carlos Mencia? He was huge. I know, but he kept getting into, like, these arguments with other comics, and he just, like, always saying, like, really idiotic things. Well, yeah, other comedians kept accusing him of stealing material. Well, that material. Too. I mean, that, that was kind of radioactive. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, have you seen the new Geico car insurance commercial? Perhaps. Starring Gallagher? What if he's dead? Smash... What? No. Yeah, oh, it just had a heart attack. He had two heart attacks. No. The the new Geico commercial stars, stars Gallagher. He's making a comeback. Good. Um, who, by the way, didn't we talk about him in our very first episode? I think we did. I don't know. I don't remember <laughs> why, but... Oh, because the So You Want a Dancer guy was... Remember the, from the So You Want a Dancer book? Well, we, submit, we said, oh... So You Want to Be a Dancer. So You Want to Be a Dancer. But he was dressed like Gallagher. Plus, remember he was running for governor of California. That too. So look at this. 201 episodes later, we're still talking about Gallagher. Gallagher. He's still relevant. Um, I have a couple of other things. You know how we've done a few Halloween episodes and we've talked about our favorite candies. And we've also talked about candies that we've found disgusting. Like Mary Jane's or Bit O Honey's or you know, Butterscotch or whatever. Just disgusting candies that we hate. I thought of another one. Growing up, I hated this candy. Sugar Daddies. Do you remember yeah, those? Yeah, yeah, I didn't like them either. It's disgusting. It was like it was like some kind of hard it was like hardened sugar on a stick and it was really yeah. sticky and it would stick in my teeth, and it made a mess, and it was just disgusting. I was, yeah, I was very, uh, um, pretty basic with candy. You know, Tootsie Rolls, M&M's, Twizzlers, yeah. um, you know, Skittles. Uh, and one, another thing. I have Verizon Fios. Actually, we both have Verizon Fios for cable TV, internet, etc. Yeah. So the other day, a guy rings the doorbell, evidently going door to door trying to sell Hello, a competing cable service, Optimum or what is it, Cablevision? Xfinity. Cablevision, Optimum, whatever it's called. Oh yeah, here it would be Cablevision. Yeah. So he's giving me his pitch. I'm like, you know, I'm just sticking my head out the screen door. I'm like, you know, come on, what is this? Do you excuse me? Do you have cable TVS? We have I have Verizon FiOS, and, and um, he's giving me this pitch, and he and finally he says, "Well, if you don't mind me asking, how much do you pay a month for FiOS?" And I kind of lowballed him a, a little bit. I lowballed him a little bit. I said, "With taxes and everything, it comes to about ninety-five dollars a month, which is a little bit less than what I really pay." And he said, "Oh, well, guess what." Yeah. You can switch to cable vision. Of course. And you know, you'll get the um you'll get the cable TV service with the high speed internet 
And with taxes and everything, it'll come to about 118 a month. Do you want to switch? And I said, well, wait a minute. If I'm paying 95 now, why would I want to switch to you and pay 118? He's like, well, you know, the, the Fios price could always go up. You never know. And I'm like, no, no, this isn't making any sense. I said, for 118, does that include, you know, we said, I have DVR boxes. Does that include the DVR? Well, no, the DVR is $10 a month extra. So, so why are you asking me if I want to switch? Because they're just salesmen. They don't even, the thing is, they don't even work for the cable companies. An idiot. But I remember when the files first came out in my neighborhood, that like some salesman, door-to-door salesman came up with it. And like I was asking him all these questions because I, I want to know every little thing. Right. And he was always like, oh, yeah, you could do this. You'll get this. You'll get that. So then I went on these, the, the best website, I think, for forum for, for cable stuff like that is dslreports.com. I know it's DSL, but that's not really what it is. But And so I went on there for the Fios uh, forum, and these people were like, yeah, that guy's basically lying. <laughs> Everything he said was a lie. Really? Yeah. Huh. Again, he doesn't work for, like, Verizon. He's just some independent contractor, so we can basically say whatever he wants. Alright, next, I have two other things real quick. Number one, did you know that Dolph Lundgren, Lundgren, uh, who is 54 years old and starring in the upcoming movie Expendables 2, Yeah. did you know that he... If he dies, he dies. He has a degree in chemical engineering. Interesting. Did you know that? I did not. Because he, he usually plays kind of like dumb guys in movies, right? Yeah. He has a degree in chemical engineering. Good for him. It's, that was very unexpected for it, me. Yeah, well, it, it is surprising because you know, like Stallone and, and Van Damme and Seagal, I mean, these guys are imbeciles. <laughs> well. And then <laughs> Schwarzenegger. Mm. Um, and then my last thing is Fred Willard. Oh, I'm gonna go there. May or may not have pulled a Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> Sounded like he did. Getting caught with his pants pulled down in a movie theater, allegedly. Adult movie theater. He claims it, that did not happen and that this is a lie. Mm. But other people claim it is not a lie. We saw you with your pants down. And the funny thing is, it's not like, you know, when Pee Wee, when, when this happened to Pee Wee Herman, he was, you know, what, in his 30s, maybe? I mean, Fred Willard's, like, a, a senior citizen. I know, but the problem, uh, and he's not even, yeah, and he's not hosting a ch- til, uh, children's television show. He's 78 years old. Why would he be in a movie theater with his pants pulled down? What does he expect is going to happen from that? I don't know. So do you think he really did that, or you think this is just a miscommunication? Uh, he probably did do it. <laughs> I like Fred Willard. Now it's making me not like mm. him. Why? He didn't do anything wrong. Well, I don't go to a movie theater and pull down Adult movie theater. Adult. That's even more disgusting, yeah. because the guy bef- who sat in the seat before him probably did the same thing, and now he's sitting in it, in that seat. It's disgusting. That's why I don't go to an adult movie theater. Probably getting, like, butt lice or something. First of all, who still goes to an adult movie theater? Where is there an adult movie theater? Well, it's in Los Angeles. 
They still have those? Like, they must have a couple. Like, uh, he found them. I, can't he just go online? He's old. In his he's, bathroom? Yeah, he can't understand the computer. You know, bring uh, the laptop into the bathroom. You don't need a laptop. It's a smartphone. <laughs> Look, I'm not... Yeah, but... Well, yeah, I guess. Or an iPad. Look, I'm not saying I do this, because I don't do this, and it's and I don't have to do this. It's ridiculous. But if he feels like he has to do this, just go in the bathroom with a computer or a smartphone. Come on. Why Why are we talking about this? I don't know. Well, because it's Pee Wee Herman related. Oh, please. Indirectly. Is that it? Uh... I had something else, but... You know how they have these movie theaters now that are, that are quote, dine-in movie theaters? Well, aren't they all? No, but now, I think, what is it? It's, it's AMC, I think, has these movie theaters that have tables and chairs, and a waiter comes and takes your order. What? You can sit and eat and watch the movie, and... Right? Dine-in movie theaters? I've heard of They're them. They're called. So, so remember how several episodes ago I said in 1988 I invented the iPad? Well, and no, our it teacher was, it was already on Star Trek. But, but, but our teacher told me I was an idiot and that'll never yes. happen. So, of course, I didn't pursue it. Yes. I invented dine-in movie theaters. Uh, ten years ago, I said, right, we were going to the movies. and drive-in. Ten years, listen, ten years ago we were going to the movies and I said, you know, people wait in line, they buy all this food, they bring it back to the chair, they mm. sit as a, I said, why don't they set up, I said, get rid of these stadium seating, put little tables and chairs, have waiters come oh, wait, in. Wait, that's what it's like? Take the orders, yeah. Oh, I thought it was like medieval times where you were still sitting in the rows and there was just a table no. in front like a... And I said, the waiters can come, bring you the food. You know, Where is this? And you watch a movie. And I and I said, you know, this is a good idea. And everybody's like, nah, that's stupid. Nobody wants to do that. Well, now they're doing it. Where is this? Ripping me. I don't know. Where'd you go to them? I didn't go to one. I, the, oh. the, when Whenever I go to a movie, they show the trailer for, you know, come to our dine-in movie theaters. There is one close by. Where? Um, I don't know if it's AMC, but the, uh, in West Orange there. Remember where the Caldors was? The, uh, Essex Green? I guess. Well, they ripped me off. I want reparations. I want royalties. This is ridiculous. Well, Every I, now idea. I'm interested. Now I'm interested now. I, we may have to go see the Expendables 2 in a dining. <laughs> <laughs> I want to experience this. Now here's the thing. I still think, no, I see, I still think this is, you're sitting in the, in the stadium seating and there's just a counter in front of you. There's tables and chairs? From what I understand. And waiters. Really? Because I was, I was at the <laughs> well, theater. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Here's the ultimate, though. A dine-in movie theater with IMAX in 3D. IMAX? Wouldn't that be the ultimate? And, and the you have seat, a food fight. And the seat that you're sitting on yes. while you're eating the dinner and watching the IMAX 3D movie is actually a toilet. Didn't I have that idea? That <laughs> was uh, our friend Chris. Yeah, we I talked know. about the vomitorium oh, and, and the yeah. other thing that he came up with. The, the poopateria. Crapatorium. 
Yeah, maybe. Well, wouldn't that be cool, though? I guess. And then you push a button after the movie and you just teleport back home. <laughs> well, then why'd you not just stay home? <laughs> Wait, so what were you going to say? Uh, IMAX, we're going to go. Oh, well, yeah, so uh, earlier this week I was... The um, Star Trek The Next Generation, they're restoring it for Blu-ray. Oh. The 25th anniversary, so... They showed two episodes and had some other stuff. It was a one night only in the theater. So I go to see it. This this movie theater, I don't know what they did with the film. The whole time, there was like diagonal lines, fuzzy lines. Like it was like coming through an RF. The what? Oh, it, was t- it was a total waste of money. Disaster. That stinks. Oh, boy. Right, that's it. But by the way, Ugh. this says that the Los Angeles City Attorney's Office on July 20th, 2012, said Fred Willard would not be formally charged with a crime if he completed a $380 diversion program. Outstanding. Whatever that is. So basically, all he had to do was pay $380 and he gets off scot-free. I, I guess, technically... Now we have interviews. It's Rob from the Paunch Stevenson Show, paunchstevenson.com. I'm here with Greg, and we are at the Digital Press Video Game Store in Clifton, New Jersey, which we have mentioned many times on the podcast. It's one of our favorite stores, and we are here with the owner, Joe Santulli. Thank you for coming on the Paunch Stevenson Show. Hello. (laughs) So tell our listeners, uh, you know, Basically, Greg and I have talked about your store on the show. We love it here. You have all the old classic stuff. But tell our listeners how you got started in this. Okay, so the, the brief history, 20-year history of digital press would be that in, in 91, my friend Kevin and I decided to start a little fanzine because we thought there might be other people out there that were interested in collecting old stuff. And in 1991, old stuff was pretty much Atari, right? <laughs> right. So we put this thing together, and, and basically this fanzine became a community, which drew in a whole lot of people that were collecting games, and you know, not just vintage, but just collecting in general, which at that time was really unheard of. Um, you know, When you're that sort of a person, and you've built a big community of people, you tend to collect even more than you might have normally in a normal life. So uh, I ended up with so much stuff that I got to a point where I was in my career thinking, why am I, I'm going my job, can't waiting, I couldn't wait to get out of it so I could do what I really wanted to do. So the time finally came where it was like, do or die, I'm going to be too old to do this if I don't do it right now. So after 20 years at my corporate job, I decided to open up Game Store and take most of that stuff that had been sitting in my house and that my poor wife had desperately, you know, begged me to get rid of out of the house. And um, we've been here almost seven years. Right. And it's a success. It, it's pretty successful. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with it. Good. Now, speaking of your wife, how overall, how did she handle um, you who... who as a collector is building up this collection. And I, I know you said she wanted to get out of the house, but was she kind of 
supportive <laughs> and understanding at first, or how did that work? I, I mean, try to imagine, you know... Were you sleeping with the game collection? <laughs> <laughs> well, she met me when I was living at home. So imagine any girlfriend that I had, the few that there were that would actually get past the, the normal nerdy, you know, front would have to then get into my inner circle, the lair. If they got to the lair, they walk into this room where it was basically crammed full of game. I mean, there was no lying or trying to hide what I was <laughs> from any of these people. So, they, right. I mean, if you, you didn't, if you, if you didn't accept what you would want, so it'd be like, kind of like, I would imagine like porn star guys that get girlfriends. Like you walk into their room and there's, you know, it's loaded with porn and, you know, it's, she knew what she was getting into, so, you know, the house having a lot of stuff in it was no surprise because we moved from my home to our home together, and mm. we had we had picked a house out that would have a nice little spot where we could put all the stuff, <laughs> and I tried to follow all the rules about not expanding into places in the house that think games didn't belong, like the kitchen and living room. <laughs> right. And I'm, honestly, if you walked into my house, even at its peak of craziness, you would never know at first glance that we were collecting that I was collecting. You would think it was a normal house. It wasn't until you hit my areas of the house that you would realize this is a disaster. Like, what's going on right. in this place? Was she the kind of person, because, uh, again, on the <clears throat> Paunch Stevenson show, we talk to a lot of people who collect things like old Transformers or comic books or, you know, even like we grew up collecting things. So did she have the mentality of like, oh, cool, you know, you got this Atari, I remember this, or was it like, oh my god, another piece of junk you brought into the house? I mean, there's a little of both. Yeah. There was there were certain expectations that she had that I was going to do that, I was going to be buying things and bringing them in, but every once in a while there would be something that I would bring home where she'd be like, why, or what are we <laughs> going to do with that? And I'll give you a perfect example. My, my buddy Scott who is like a master of designing things and like, you know, re returning dead items from the grave in these new and beautiful new pieces of art, once brought to my home this giant pinball machine that he had converted from a broken Atari pinball into this nice wall art pinball. Hmm. And he's like, my friend, look what I've made for you. You can hang this up in your house. And I, I knew when I looked at it that this was going to be a problem because I didn't have enough of my own personal space that I would be able to do this. Right. And and Liz put the kibosh on it. She's like, "That's not that's not going to happen. Like, we don't even have a place to store it." Is yeah. that the one hanging up in the store? It is now hanging up at the store. Oh, that's so cool. I told Scott back then. I'm like, you know, I'm sorry. I love it, but I can't do anything with it. There's nowhere to put it. So he took it back begrudgingly. But the day I opened the store, he was here with it again in his truck. Hey, What's where are we going to hang it up? Some, something Avenger. Airborne. Airborne Avenger. Avenger. Yeah, that yeah, looks cool. It's an cool. Atari pinball machine that he turned into basically, yeah, it's like a it's like a lit art piece of artwork. It's beautiful. Yeah. So back to the store. Um, you deal in all kinds of uh, retro and, and vintage video games and, and also the new stuff too. But <clears throat> what's the percentage that you would say customers come in looking for the old stuff versus do you have this PlayStation 3 game that just came out? Well, I'm in a very um, suburb. Well, it's not even, it's really more of a city area. So it's, it, there's a lot of people in the general vicinity. And I think for the locals, this is their local game store that they'll go to for anything. But I think that Digital Press, the store, that represents maybe 20% of 
the, the customers that actually come here. So like, if you come to a Nava, every once in a while you'll bump into a local or somebody who's like, what's going on here? What's <laughs> right. this Atari? You know, but um, a good 20% of the people I think that come through here on any given day are here for something new just because they live nearby. And you have a lot of showcases here, and, and I've taken pictures, we posted them on the website, of a lot of, uh, you, you acquire a lot of prototypes and um, just really rare stuff. So oddball. Yeah, like oddball stuff and rare stuff. So um, f- to us, it's, it's not even just a store. It's also, in a way, almost like a, a store and a museum. Where we can come and hey oh you have this game cool and wow look at this thing in the display case that's awesome so how, how, it, it, are are these things that were in your house that you're bringing in bit by bit or are you still acquiring new prototypes and pieces of history? Um, I don't I don't personally go on the collecting hunt anymore. Although I shouldn't say that every once in a while I get into a weird fix where I'm like. Oh my gosh, yeah. I don't have an FM Marty Towns system <laughs> and games for the FM. So every once in a while, but I've been here for seven years, and in seven years, that's maybe two times as that happened where I get on this like kind of collecting spurt that I used to have. Yeah. But there's enough people that know about the store and enough <laughs> local traffic that things just come here. So, I mean, I don't know if you were here earlier today. Some guy walks in, he's got this giant bag of stuff. He, he busts out of Vectrex. 20 wow. Vectrex cartridges, a Donkey Kong Jr. Coleco tabletop, nice. uh, Tommy Caveman handheld. It's like, yeah, where saw that do you scared. see? Yeah, where are you going to go where you're going to just see that happen on a Saturday, just on some place that you go? And, so, and it's not all that uncommon. Yeah, and, and Joe posted on the Digital Press Facebook page. Whenever you, you get a Justin, I'm, I love that because you're always posting this stuff. It's yeah, like, that's, that, that's wow. a cool feature. I knew that that was fun because I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, I was doing a text version of that in the forums. Yeah. So anytime something came in, I would type in, oh, here's what came in. It was cool. And people loved it. But I didn't, it was a lot of work to do that because I would type in who brought it in and what it was. And it's easier to just take a picture of it and yeah. poof, it's yeah. on Facebook. And all I have to do is tell you what it is. And it's good because you get to see what's going on every day. And even if you live, you know, on the other side of the planet, it's just kind of cool to see these sort of things that turn up in the wild. Yeah. And I consider the story in the wild. You know, it's just these people aren't selling them at a garage sale. They're not putting them on eBay. They're just they want to get rid of them. Do you have an eBay shop that you also sell? I do. Surplus stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the eBay store is really for things that, again, that I'm not going to see my locals buy um, games that are sealed in the package, like very high-end items, and then mm-hmm. things that we accumulate so much of that we can't possibly move in the do you, store. Do you get your stuff graded? No. no, I'm just kidding. Do you, uh, do, you, do you believe in that, or you do you despise it the way I despise I, it? I understand it, and I I appreciate the service. Uh, I wouldn't personally do it. And anytime I've ever had one traded in or that's ever crossed my path, I've sold it. Because yeah. ultimately, I either want to play it, or if I am going to open a museum, it's not going to be in a brick of plastic it's going to be in something that you can actually see without any encumbrance or numbers on it or you know anything i want to be able to touch it for me it's like i don't know a game like castlevania on the nes you know i i love that i can come to digital press 
in Clifton, New Jersey, and go through your your rack of NES games. Well, look, there's Castlevania. It's a, you know however many dollars it is, a few bucks, and I buy it. I take it home. I play it. It's awesome. But these people getting it it, it professionally graded and slabbed. It's like. They're asking like ten thousand dollars for a Castlevania. It's like, are you crazy? Well, maybe someday we'll understand it. I, for for now, it seems like it's, um, I don't know. You're you're putting away something that should still be appreciated. You're, yeah. you're pretty much putting it to its end. And, and they did it with baseball cards too, and what you want, books, yeah. And what you wind, I think what you wind up doing is you wind up. You increase the value of these things exponentially, and but then, like for the common collector, I think it decreases the value. I, I mean, some people think it all oh, because, like, some of these people do like fake. They do like fake eBay auctions. You, yeah. You've seen them where it's like they <laughs> the a friend bidders. bids on it so that it, it raises the price. Somebody looks on eBay and says, "Oh my God, this game is worth four hundred dollars," but nobody actually bought it. It's kind of one of those things. I think, I think it hurts the value hmm. because. Then you know it's people are going to be like, oh well, if it's not sealed, then it's not it's worth ten bucks. And if it hasn't been graded, then it might not be worth anything. You know, compared to right. the graded, it one, won't be. It worth... won't decrease the value of. I have a plain Castlevania cartridge. What's the value? It's it's loose. It won't do anything to that. But if you're somebody who does, not me, but if you're somebody that does collect like the sealed stuff, then you may have to go off that cliff, <laughs> right? And to compete with you the graded have stuff, to do it, right? Well, that's a good business model where you're you're you must go to your, to that business to get your. Yeah. You know, I again, have, I appreciate oh. what they do. My second to last question is, um, even just generally throughout the month and and at these uh, Neva monthly meetings, uh, how many people would you say are kind of like more local versus people coming from out of state just to? see all the cool things at your store out of state or just at, just not like not general you know, like new york or people. delaware or pennsylvania i mean do you, do you get a lot of people coming from far away to visit the mecca of video games <laughs> i like that the mecca. um it does happen and i mean there's even a few regulars from connecticut and delaware and new york um but i don't i don't expect people to come out of state to get here, and I think I'm not expecting. Nava but, but group, do people come? They do. They. I mean, I've had people come from out of country to wow. come to Nava meetings. That's I mean, cool. We've had people. We had a we had a Nava that was actually called O Canada. A <laughs> yes, whole bunch right, of guys yeah. from Canada said, "Oh, you know, let's come down for this one thing." And, I, and we said, "Oh, well, we'll kind of tailor it around your, you know, what you guys do." That's um, cool. Yeah, yeah. And there's been, you know, there have been people from um, from Italy and from Belgium that have come to Nava. Like they sort of tailored their trip to the u.s around or maybe they didn't said they did but they came right. to a nava meeting and they weren't from this country that's cool because again i said the mecca of video games yes there are other retro video game stores especially in our our uh you know more populated area but like i said before this is not just a retro video game store you have the display cases you have Got Pretty much, you have, you have everything. <laughs> yeah, arcade cabinets and prototypes. Does that make it different? And, yeah. I mean, th- this really is the mecca of video. Oh, I, games. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, the the well, thing I've said from the day I opened the store is I always wanted a place that was different than any other video game store that I went in. I didn't care what it was. I, you, I want to be able to walk in here and see something that you're not going to see anywhere else. Yeah. So and well, you know and you've succeeded. I I, I try very very hard at well, doing that. And you're you're. Everything you have is priced to sell. You're not like... There's certain ones where you go where... It's like you walk in and you're like, 
do they re- are they do they really yeah. want to sell this or are they just <laughs> right. it's on display like look I have this right. you know ha ha but right. I'm not going to sell it because it's I'm right. putting it's sixty percent right. over the right. sticker price. No, I want it. I want it to be competitive, and I want it to sell. And I and I definitely want somebody to walk in here and find something cool like that and be able to buy it. Well, it's um, a good business model to open a store and price things to sell. Yeah, I mean, right? we talk about business philosophy all the time, but but the other side of that is, I do sometimes get criticized that I don't have anything. I don't have what? anything rare. And and a lot of the reason of that is because I price things to not sit on the shelves forever. Yeah. That okay, you're not going to walk in here and find Earthbound on my shelf every day. It's not going to be there because the last one I sold, I sold for less than eBay. And anyone who knows about the store or lives nearby bought it. It was there yeah. for thirty seconds. Yeah. And you know, I feel bad sometimes that I don't have things like that. Like people will walk in. Well, what do you mean you don't have Chrono Trigger? So I'm like, well, I've had a hundred <laughs> of them this year, but on this day, I don't they have sell. one. It just happens. But, right. So there's a, I guess there's a downside to it, but it, to me, that downside is a is a public perception that's completely outside of my business or anything I can control. And I would much rather make a lot of customers happy than those few outliers oh. that missed the day it came in. Absolutely. Yeah, to make Absolutely. them happy. My last question for you is, um, do you have anything in mind for the future of the store and also the video game museum that you're working on in right. California? I well, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> oh, right. Well, you stole his question. You want to ask the question <laughs> no, instead? You'd word it differently. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that, well, there's two things that you have going on the West Coast. You have the expo and then you have the museum. So, just what's brief. the future? Well, I don't know. No, 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 just explain what is the future of digital press yeah. and and all its. Well, it's not just digital press; it's side. Pro- well, that's what I mean. Other things. That's what so, I mean. how about this? Like, you, you guys are you've done a little bit of comic book stuff in the past. Remember the What If comic books? <laughs> yeah. Remember those? Like, yeah, I always yeah, love yeah. those because it's like, ah, that's not going to happen. But you know, it's <laughs> cool what to kind of yeah. see what. But but maybe it could, right? Like, I've, I'm sure some of those What If scenarios actually did play out. Well, what if? You were to go to a place where it was a city block wide and it was a museum on one level and you had to walk in, you had to walk in through like maybe an arcade to get to the museum. So you'd, you'd hang out in the arcade and then you'd get in on an elevator and you'd go up to the museum and see the whole place. And then the, the souvenir shop was basically like a digital press. Nice. And maybe there was a comic book store or something else that's sort of tangentially related, related to that sort of business. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want to be able to tie all those things together where we have a place where we can do events, a museum where you could you know, see all the stuff either behind glass or, or interactively play it, um, and then some form of a digital press store as either a souvenir or sort of the overseeing venture of the whole thing that was sort of branded that way. That's, and that's and that's going to be in California. Well, it's going to be wherever I could afford to have it. But if okay. I had to have a museum, my partners John and Sean, so the Video Game History Museum. This is where you have two people that aren't here to, to speak it, right. speak about and, it. And this was what was on Kickstarter, right? So, yeah. Right. So John, Sean, and I formed a nonprofit organization called Video Game History Museum, and the goal of that is to open a museum on the West Coast in the Silicon Valley area. Somewhere in the vicinity of San Jose, so it would be pretty close to the Computer History Museum, and have that basically become a destination for both. That would be a lot bigger than 20,000 square feet and would hopefully be the final resting place of a museum. But I look at that more as a 15 years out, maybe 10 if we're lucky, 
but I, I see a stepping stone somewhere where somebody's going to say, I've got a good space for you, or I was thinking of doing the same thing, let's collaborate, or um, the economy's bad, let's use this lot that we've got. Well, I hope it doesn't get any worse. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. But um, you asked me what the future is, and I think the, more, the most immediate future is something like that, some sort of a museum slash digital press slash arcade. Like, that's really what I want to do. Would it be in addition to the Clifton store, or yeah, this store is not going to close until it's like not doing well. So okay. as long as you know, as so long as the store's making money, and yeah, absolutely, cool. Well, I was gonna. Uh, we've talked about this, you know, privately in the past, but like you had your kind of like your thoughts on the industry in general, because you were like several years ago. I remember you telling us that you were thinking that they were going to go completely into downloadable. There would be no more physical games. Yeah. Which means if you're a GameStop shareholder, you better sell now. <laughs> yeah. Because there won't be anything. Do you still think that? or? Yeah, I mean, are you reading the news? I mean, you, you saw GameStop well, is now considering venturing into trade-ins of digital media. Well, that was that's wait, something. Wait, wait, wait. They stole my use... idea. I want, I've said that for years. That well, there should be a digital like trade. Without going, I mean, you can go into the implications of what that means, but but the, the bottom line is that they've they're at a corporate level they've already engaged in that possibility. Yeah. They've already come out and said, okay, there's a possibility that we're going to need to do this to move forward, or that it's something that's important to them, which you wouldn't think. Well, yeah, but they're Barnes and Noble now, right? And they're kind right. of in the same boat. Barnes and Noble owns. Well, them, the, I think. well the, yeah, I mean, Barnes and Noble's transitioning. I guess what, from what you're saying, GameStop is transitioning. Well, I'm not saying that they're transitioning. I'm just they're saying hedging. that they've acknowledged. Yeah, they've acknowledged, right. They're acknowledging right. that there is a digital media world out there right. and that the world's going that way. And to be honest with you, I think you're foolish if you don't think that. I mean, from the day I opened this store, I knew that that was coming. I mean, CD stores were closing when I when I opened up. <laughs> yeah. Movie stores closed, are gone now. Suncoast. What's left? <laughs> right? The FYE only, the only, the only yeah. media that you get on any sort of box anymore is video games. And that's already available online. And there's already companies saying that's the way we want to go. We're not even going to create yeah, but they still, physical I mean, media. They still sell movies and, and t- shows that are still on Blu-ray and DVD. Where do you For buy now. them? I mean, you have For to now. go to Probably Best Internet. Buy. or Yeah, I mean, you have to go to a big box type store to get them. And it's a very small sector, I would imagine, of the sales. Yeah. I mean... I think it's a slow transition, but there is a transition happening. Yeah, you, it has to be. It has to be. And something. with video games, it's even a little bit slower, just because of the um, like how many megabytes each video game is now, or gigabytes. But <clears throat> but uh, I I definitely really. see a transition happening. I mean, you look at the iPad games, and they're like current gen graphics. The and yeah. for Android, too, yeah, I mean, they're not. Yeah. I mean, they're on a small, like a ten inch or seven inch screen. I mean, but the world is not ready to go digital yet. I'm not saying that. Right. I'm just saying that it's inevitable. Um, well, I, even beyond business implications. Do you think that's, like, the end of game collecting, no, in a sense? I don't. And that's, you know, to me... there won't be anything new. My business is... Well, and 80% of my business is used stuff, anyway. Yeah. And of that 80%, more than half of it is old games that... Mm. I walked into this store with that as a competition. People were emulating games. People were able to download stuff that they could buy in the store. So from day one, I was competing with, you know digital versions of old stuff. I'm not concerned about that. I'm just concerned that um, I won't have Xbox 360 used games. Whatever the next generation is, there won't be used games to sell. Right. You know, 
it's going to be you'll you get it online. But you're okay with that. I am. I mean, there's got to be some other way to to make up that difference. You know, I'm I'm not thinking on GameStop's level of of buying and trading in digital media, but we do tournaments here now once a month. So That's, you know, if you start to so instead of building um, product or uh, there's or a social supply, you, yeah, you build community, right? So you have tournaments. You have reasons for people to get together, which is the exact opposite of what's happening in the industry in general. And I think that kind of makes a nice supplement. I mean, you're basically like when, when all of us were kids, the an arcade was a social aspect, right. and they're gone. I mean, except for a couple like classic ones that people have reopened, but they're all gone. So that's. I mean, you're providing a service basically that is nobody else is willing to do, really. Yeah. Especially with game stores. I mean, like we we're saying, it's not just well, look what I have, haha. But it's you know, come in, buy something, get out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean or or an old game store becomes a museum, like some strictly yeah. interactive. I mean, you could also kind of see the store in ten years from now if nobody's buying games anymore in person. That you just have game stations set up everywhere. Well, yeah. Yeah. where are you going to go that you can go play an Atari 2600 well, we, system? Well, there is one place in Clifton that you can do that. Greg and I went to a place uh, in Red Bank, New Jersey. It's called Yestercades. Mm. Maybe you're familiar. Been there yet? I haven't been there, but I've heard and it. Here's, it's exactly what you just described. People go in, they get a wristband with a timestamp, and there's... TVs set up, couches, every game console you could name with a whole shelf full of different games. Plus, and like 80 arcade pl- Yeah, pl- plus stand-up arcade cabinets. But like you said, hey, I want to play an Atari 2600. They go to this place, they get the wristband, they play, they can switch over to an Xbox, a 32X, whatever. And then two hours later when they go out, they see the time and then, and then you pay like eight bucks an hour. And with the wristband, and it's unlimited. you don't have to worry about loitering. Right, because if you sit there, you're paying. You're paying, right? right. As long as you're inside, <laughs> you want them to sit there. In fact, oh, you forgot what time yeah. it is. Well, Fifty bucks. Come on. So that's definitely yeah, that's a viable smart. Yeah, that makes sense for you. If you know, if you end up going that yep. route too. Yep. I mean, we can't you have predict options. the future, but yeah, we can be. We can at least try to prepare for it. Definitely. Anything else? Nah. Let him get back to the party. All right, thanks a lot, Joe. <laughs> You're welcome. We've been meaning to talk, to, talk to, to you for a while, but, you know, we well, finally we always made talk. it out. We've just never yeah, had a, re- a recorder on us, that's all. Cool. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. Oh, and uh, what's the website these days? Um, I mean, my primary project is Video Game History Museum, which is vghmuseum.org. Okay. Cool. And what about for digital press? Digital press is dpvideogames.com. Cool. dpvideogames.com. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. Okay, so we're still in the uh, bowels of the digital press store, and we've got our friend uh, Frankie chained up. Yes, <laughs> it's uh, we're, 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 him. we're reenacting. Uh, was it Chiller? <laughs> yes, <laughs> for the that, NES. Everyone's favorite uh, Exidy uh, arcade. Yeah, conversion cabinet from Crossbow. Man, remember the first time walking into oh, an that arcade? Was a yeah, it was a conversion kit. I didn't know. Well, that. most oh. of those XCD games were conversions from. I think Crossbow was the first, and then there was uh, Cheyenne and yeah, Cheyenne. A Commando one and a Who Done It. Well, they were shooting games. They were yeah. all yeah, just yeah. all using the same technology. But remember the first time you walked into an arcade as a kid and you saw Chiller? My God, that was I was literally like 
unsure if I should be playing this. I, exactly. Like, is this a mistake? Did somebody... It's like X-rated. Yeah, like next to a Pac-Man machine. <laughs> Insanity, nudity, and... and Disembowelment. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. Well, it was like X-rated one notch above stick figure graphics. It was years before Mortal cool. Kombat. Yeah, yeah oh. Cool. And it was like a secret. Like, you didn't want to tell anybody. You didn't want to go to the arcade owner and say, like, excuse me, sir, um... <laughs> There, you can crush a, a girl's head in, in a in a wine press in this game, and and her eyeballs squirt out. Is it is it, is it supposed to do that? Right. <laughs> yeah. So they got they got a little hot water for that. But um, so it's Rob, you're Greg. Greg. We're here with Frankie, and you are also. We, we just talked to Joe Santuli, owner of Digital Press, but you yep. are also very into the classic video game scene, and and you do That's your right. own podcast. Yep. Which is the Digital Press Podcast. The Digital Press Podcast. And where, are, where can people find that? Um, dpvideogames.com is the new home and the best home for the Digital Press Podcast. You can find the video and audio versions there in one easy-to-navigate and well-designed uh, website. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, we're, we're on episode 8. We're semi-regular whenever we can all find the time and uh, energy to get together and do it because no one's paying us to do it. We have a good time. I'm sure you guys, you know, have similar. Well, we're fans. And, and now, just to explain to our listeners at paunchstevenson.com, you guys go into it with, you know, like with Greg and I, we're more just free form, whatever comes to mind. But you guys actually have specific topics Per episode, it's more, sure, it's sure, more structured. Times. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we try to get topical. Unfortunately, our, our lead on production time sometimes makes it unfortunate to be topical by the time it gets fully produced and edited. Um, you know, it's no longer topical. We're, we're behind the curve. But, you know, we try to talk about things that are interesting to the uh, classic gaming and modern gaming sets. We, you know, we'll... We'll delve into topics like NES, our recollections of the earliest days of uh, video gaming, Atari, NES, uh, Coleco, Atari, Vectrex, that type of stuff. And we'll talk about what's currently going on in the market, um, things like, you know, what Microsoft and Sony are planning for the next generation, what Nintendo's got going on. You know, it's a, it's we're jack-of-all-trades uh, video game podcasts, so much like the digital press community. What's one of your favorite old um, game consoles, game systems. The Atari Lynx. Nice. Man, what a, what a underrated, underperforming piece of hardware that was just just light years ahead of everything else on the market at the time. You had Including inc- home game consoles. Absolutely. Better versions Seriously. of Atari and Midway's arcade games at the time. The concurrent arcade games like Road Blaster, Zybots, Xenophobe, uh, Rampart. They had perfect versions on the Lynx. It was unfortunately hampered by Atari's implosion um, as a company, uh, overpriced in comparison the to... Battery its, life. The battery, battery life, life was... Is... It was not a portable system, unfortunately. I mean, <clears throat> if, you, if you were carrying the AC adapter with you and you were going to Grandma's <laughs> house and you could sit down on her armchair and plug it into the wall, you were good to go. If you had the car adapter and you could sit in the back seat and run it to the front um, yeah. while, you know, Mom and Dad went to the Walmart or whatever, you were good. But, you know, it, it, but it, in retrospect, it was, um, it was ahead of its time. It, it really, it was, you know, the PSP to that generation's DS, uh, of, right. the, of the classic green screen monochrome Game Boy. 
This is what I say about the Lynx. I when when the Game Boy and the oh, Atari you had a Lynx. Lynx, yeah, when the Game Boy and the Atari Lynx first came out at the end of 1989, to me it was a no-brainer. It's like obviously I'm getting a Lynx because yeah. come on, I mean, just look at it. In 1990, my parents bought me the Atari Lynx, and I was very appreciative. And to anyone who like how you mentioned a minute ago about it was the most ahead of its time game oh, yeah. console even compared to home game consoles and if people are skeptical i say if at all possible try electrocop oh my god i love electrocop and clacks electrocop because it's in the game itself <laughs> you can play these like really advanced versions of asteroids <laughs> and breakout just as like as mini games. as mini games while you're hacking the doors with an encryption program <laughs> While the actual encryption breaking program takes place in real time, yes. you can play Breakout and Asteroids or like one of those sliding puzzle things. It was awesome. It was the music, the cinematics. Oh and my god, the scale, the mode seven scaling yeah. that that system did. I was twelve years. I'm mad. I'm twelve years old. It's 1990. I pop Electrocop into the links, and it's a full three dimensional third person action game. Yeah. You know, not just going side to side, going in and out, and oh my, it was a mind yeah. Epics, the the people who uh, developed it, they were you know a company that are probably best known for their work on software on the Commodore sixty four mm. and Atari eight bit computers. They they made summer games, winter games, California games, um, a lot of classics, games, and, games, games, yeah. games, and VCR football. Yes, and VCR for better or worse. <clears throat> um, yeah, strike that from the record. But, um, <laughs> but they unfortunately, they, I had VCR football. They developed that hardware, and um, Atari bought it. And you know, it see, it was God, it was a slam dunk that just. You know, I, I kind of feel I'm kind of feeling like the the Vita might be this generation's links. I'm hoping oh, Sony man. can really do something it seems like they're not selling uh, i don't i don't even know if it's a matter of not selling it seems like there's no motion whatsoever in the market they're not releasing any games for it right now and i have faith that sony has something in their back pocket that they're they're waiting for maybe they're waiting for nintendo to release the wii u and then sony will start bundling the vita with the ps3 and release a patch that makes for identical functionality but it seems like there's kind of some tumbleweeds blowing through um, Vita world that, that reminds me very much of what happened with the Lynx. Like, the Lynx was out there on the shelves, and people who owned it, you know, they, they'd have their friends over, and they'd be like, look at this, look <laughs> at this, it's amazing! And their friends would be really impressed, like, wow, that you're right, that's really great, but they wouldn't run out and buy one, or they wouldn't, like, there was no... I it didn't know. have the momentum that the yeah. Game Boy oh my God. Well, like, he used to bring it, you, once in a while he'd bring it to school. Middle but, school, yeah. But he, we, we couldn't play it because of the battery, so I, he would just be, like, showing it. Like, look I'd at this! Pl I, I'd plug it in into the outlet in the class. Yeah. Yeah, you know what was... A, what, not, and it, it didn't have Tetris. It did not have Tetris. And it had was, no I almost think, no puzzle games like that. I think Shanghai was probably... Clax. Oh, yeah. Clax. I loved And Clax is really good on Lynx. I loved you know? Clax. Hold it vertical. Yeah, I loved that. You so know... Clax is okay. It's, like, it's, it had Rampage. It had Clax. It had... Ninja Gaiden, arcade perfect version. Oh my god, had, that, that uh, Double Dragon style beat em up version of Ninja Gaiden is awesome. It had awesome. Double Dragon. Oh, a, a good, yeah, a good version of Double Dragon. Anyway, now I'm gonna have to buy so, a Lynx. No. So, uh, anyway. I have two. 
I have two. I could I could probably sell you one. Yeah, and then I, I gotta oh, buy all the games. This is the last thing I'll say about the Lynx. Again, I'm 12 years old. It's 1990. I'm so excited. We get it home. I open the box. I, I take the California games little card, because mm-hmm. the games came on cards. I slid it in the slot, close the door. I play it. It's amazing. I go to take it out to put in another game, and I'm like, it's not coming out. And I'm trying to pull it out. I'm like, oh, my God, my parents... We just got this thing home. They paid how many hundreds of dollars? It's not coming. I had to, my dad had to use pliers to pull the game out Did because I don't know if you remember the no, original. No, 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 no. So this was a this was a Mark One Link original Lynx. original Links, and this is a California Games without the bend without the bend. on the end of the cartridge. Yes, you're absolutely right. There was some sticking uh, issues with those Chips Challenge California yeah. Games Electrocop Blue Lightning. Gates of Zendokan, those Mark I cartridges that did not have the bend that you could really yep. put the fulcrum <laughs> kind of pressure on. The games and, would get stuck yeah, in the you're thing. Right, the, you're the, right. the original. Was it batch, okay after it got, you got oh, it out? It was fine. Right. But um, then I noticed after I got Ninja Guide in and Clax, I was like, ah, they put a little groove on the yep. cartridge to pull it out. There you go. So that was a little design yep. flaw. Well, yep. the Lynx 2 was an improvement. The screen was better, it yep. had the, like a. a it wasn't like a glare filter, but it had a cover. You could buy a cover for it. You could buy a light, like fil- like a shield, like it's just essentially a, like an over a visor. Hang. A visor, yes, yeah. like a, like the kind of awesome plastic visors <laughs> that you see like senior citizens wearing at a poker table, exactly. Or something like that. <laughs> at the at the uh, you know at, at the valleys in Atlantic City. Um, so we were talking, Joe, about you know Greg mentioned the direction that video games are heading in general and we got onto the topic of uh are video games going to be at some point download only i'm like, in, are, yeah. are we heading in that direction inevitably i was talking about um this with a few of our other digital press uh members upstairs earlier today okay. and i said Right now, and I know I may be in the vocal minority, especially in the very specialized uh, community that we are a part of. We are a part of a collector's community. We're a part of a historian community. We're a part of uh, an enthusiastic group of people that appreciate the physical hardware, the original software. They like to collect. They like to compile. They like to archive. They like to, you know, document. Um, I think that's great. I'm a part of that. I, I'm certainly, I support that. But I also am in the vocal minority that's a, that I'm a very much a futurist, and I like to see where things are going. And I think right now we're at an incredibly exciting time. If you think about the fact that a company, and I, you know, maybe we'll look back on this sentence that I'm going to say right now, and we'll say like, haha, that was very funny that we were all kind of taken by that. But look at what these people who are developing the Ouya did with their Kickstarter within a period of six or seven hours. Yeah, they got like $3 million. $3 million for what is essentially going to be a set-top, open-platform, uh, developer-friendly device with a with a wireless controller. And they're, they're, they want to position this alongside of the commercial, closed-environment uh, Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo machines. They legitimately want this to be a contender. This could have never happened in past generations. Mm-hmm. Or if it did, 
I mean, it would be the kind of thing that you would see on on the back mail order pages of Electronic <laughs> Gaming Monthly, like, right. send us $200 and we'll send you a schematics about how to build this from Radio Shack and an instruction book about how to program in BASIC, you know, these games for it. This is really exciting that we, that the software operating systems like Android and iOS are bringing about, in my opinion, a new renaissance that is very similar to the 8-bit computing era where people were programming in their garages. People are now, they don't, the, the, the video game crash of the late 80s all the way through the modern era brought about a kind of uh, very closely guarded, closed, wa high wall, castle kind of thing that, that Nintendo and Sony and Microsoft Sega. watched over in Sega. And they made sure that, that things were, you know, everything passed through their system. But now we're back to a time where outside of PC gaming, which, you know, Flash game developers maybe, or like, you know, people that were doing stuff in Source, in, in, in Half-Life Source, or other kind of 3D engines. There wasn't a lot of this kind of hobbyist gaming. We're going to see that. We're going to see that explode. And it, it is exploding in Android and, and iOS right now. I mean, the market is full of hobbyist developed games that are doing really well and are getting a lot of saturation either through free distribution or a freemium model. I'm excited. I'm excited to see where it goes. If it means that we're going to see um, a lot of tradition that, that we've become used to in, you know, brick-and-mortar uh, game sales, packaged games, um, box games, AAA companies like Capcom, Konami, uh, fall by the wayside because they're just too expensive uh, products for, for the general consumer in comparison to the similar or same experiences they're getting from their their iOS game loft or glue or, or whatever these independent developers are offering. I'm willing to see some companies forced their arms get twisted to change their ways in order to give the end user a better, more affordable experience. And a lot of people in our community will tell you something completely opposite of that. They're like, they don't want to see the traditions change. They don't want to see, the old guard fall. They don't want to see the castle walls come down. But I, well, guess what? I'm all about the, the old guard. As silly as it sounds, the old guard used to be Magnavox, Coleco. Yeah, we've they're seen, gone. We've and, seen the kings fall. We're not crying. And, you know, we're well, not. In, some people when, in our community are, <laughs> are still crying. They still want their. The same things yeah. evolve. Life goes on. The old guard has fallen before. It's going to fall again. Yeah, but now it's not even competition. Sega. Like, I, I mentioned to Joe, but it's not even competition of of digital or not it's also a competition of console or not yeah because now you've got like verizon and, and you've got the the telecommunications and the googles and the microsofts and all those people are building phones and and mobile devices and this and that and, and they're all trying to build a device apple build a device that does everything tv yeah, well, music, video games, everything, and shut everyone out. Well, Frankie, I don't know how they do that, but here's the thing. You know, again, you're you're very involved in this community, mm -hmm. so I know a lot of people look at it as, let's say, like you said, iOS or Android are the two big platforms now, and it's like, you know, the Vita is going to fail because iOS and or Android are taking off and becoming so popular, or the 3DS is going to fail because 
iOS and Android. The more so saturated. Popular. And let me give. And let me just before you run. Let me just give the the quantification of what you just said. The reason why those devices, the Androids and the iOS devices, are going to succeed if they do over the traditional delivery of the 3DS and the the Vita is because the end user only has so much time in any day, 365 days a year, and if their phones and their tablets and their portable devices can deliver what those gamers need without the necessity of carrying the 3DS or the Vita with them or taking them with them or the cost of buying the $50 or $60 game or the, even the $30 or $20 game, if they can do the same thing for free with the one universal device that they carry with them, be it an iPad or a Nexus tablet or a, cell, a smartphone, that's where it's going to happen. It needs, it's, needs to supplant the, the limited time that you have in any given day to play your portable games or even the games you play sitting on your couch. Yeah. Or... Just completely replace, you know, your desire to carry that portable game system with you to okay. get your fix. But would you and a lot of these games are time, like, demanding. Like time the, management games. They yeah. demand, no, not just that, but they demand ridiculous, like, Diablo 3 just came well, out. RPG. People are playing it, like, 24 hours a day, of course. Yes. But, but, but Frankie, would, would you say that, would you agree with the people who are saying iOS and Android are the future, look at how popular they are, the, the, the traditional portables are dead, or would you say iOS and Android are great and they are really popular, but it's two two different worlds we're comparing here. Someone I, plays, uh, you know, whatever that, you know, stick figure game on, on the iPhone while waiting in line at the post office for ten minutes, then while riding the bus for an hour going home from work, whips out the 3DS. Or are they really competing? So, so you're saying that people, like the majority of people, are just just want to play like a Farmville or a puzzle game or something simplistic, which it doesn't matter. Well, no. it seems like there's two philosophies here. iOS and Android are going to kill off traditional gaming, or the other philosophy is they're not really competing with each other and they can coexist. I think there's a certain level of coexistence that's going to occur because... Of the market, it will always have our contingency that that is wants the tradition. They want the traditional. They they have a a psychological separation in their mind that like video game systems are video game systems, and they're they can't bring themselves to to accept the fact that their iPhone or their Android phone or their iPad or their Android tablet will be their fix for a game like. Final Fantasy or Pokemon or right. um, Star Fox. or Star Fox or something like that, even if there are look-alike games like that on the systems. However, that contingency in the marketplace does not make up the majority share, and the majority share, I think, we're seeing the reality that that they are they have moved away from the traditional game system. I mean, most, most kids now, they just want to play the game on their TV, like with their friends or by themselves, but they don't care physically what it is. Right. They just want but, to play but, the game. But even despite the fact that the iOS and Android devices are all touch. Um, well... There's no buttons. There, Yeah, but there are Bluetooth controllers for both systems. We're seeing... Really? Yeah, oh, sure. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 
Android has Bluetooth, uh, and and iOS has Bluetooth, and it's just it's up to the developers at this point. If a lot of the game makers are coding the ability for these uh, devices to be compatible with the iCade or iControl Pad, um, we're not seeing it so much in the AAA game front on in those market share, but more of the niche stuff, the stuff that appeals to us, like the arcade classics like the uh, you buy a, a collection of Atari games it'll be compatible with one of those Bluetooth controllers because they know there's really no way to simulate it in a way that feels right without having a physical controller definitely um, well I don't know how you play like a Street Fighter game on a touchpad you'd be surprised <laughs> Capcom has a, a version of Street Fighter where the 4 buttons are. they have a version of Street Fighter 4 on the iPhone that that works surprisingly well because it was built from the ground up with the timing of the touch screen to work. But then they're of two heads because they ha- they ported Marvel vs. Capcom 2 directly from what appears to be the PlayStation 2 version of that game, and it doesn't work really well. So when you build the game from the ground up with the, the timing of the touch screen in mind, you can pull off a, a two-dimensional fighting game, but, you know, it's it's going to be for people who aren't enthusiasts in that market. But we're... You know, we're getting, we're kind of derailed from the point of, I think that right now we're seeing not the death of the traditional portable game console or set-top game console, but we are seeing some real numbers that the majority, the people who are casual, and I hate to use that, that finger quotes casual gamer, but the people who don't feel the need to keep current with, like, going out and buying a PlayStation 3 or an Xbox 360 or a Wii because it's, like, the best thing. They just want to play a game. If those people already own an iPhone, if they already own an Android phone, if they already own an iPad, they are not going to Best Buy or GameStop and buying a Wii or a 360 or a PlayStation 3 to fill a gaming need. Their gaming need has been filled by their iOS or Android devices. They get their fix because they only have so many hours of the day, Ten years ago, five years ago, when they said, I really want to play a game. I feel like on the weekends I want to get together with my friends. They would go buy a Wii and Wii Sports, and that would meet their gaming needs. But now they're kind of like, they get their fix from their iOS and their Android stuff. It's, it's, there's been a significant impact, and we're going to see in the next generation of devices from Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony. Well, that's the other thing. There's still three... There's still three game companies. Yeah. It, it could be just too many. Also, there's a huge... I think there's been a huge problem in this generation with the extended life cycle. We have never had a 7 to 10 year life cycle right. of a video game console that has not overlapped with a next generation. Like, we've had PlayStation 1, we've had probably NES, we've had... 2600. Game Boy 2600 that were at the retail uh, brick and mortar for 10 years plus, but they were coexisting with whatever the next generation was. In this generation, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo all said, we need to make this uh, go long. We need to make this run long. And it's the consumer, the psychology of the consumer. There's a lot of people now that probably aren't going out and investing. Maybe they've sold off their 360 or their PlayStation 3 or their Wii because they're, they know that we're long past what the next generation cycle typically is, and they're kind of waiting for that next cycle. And maybe in that downtime, they're getting disinterested in games. And developers, 
right now the AAA developers, a lot of them are probably working on the next-gen hardware. You know, uh, they have a s significant portion of their companies devoted to developing for the next generation, and that's why we're not seeing Capcom, Konami, EA, all those companies roll out the volume of software on an annual basis that would keep people interested because they're all they all have to be working on the next gen yeah. in order to have a, a good launch lineup or a good first quarter for that. Right. So it's there's so many it's so complicated, but at the same time, I'll go back to my original statement, it's really exciting because we're seeing this cause a, a new renaissance of of independent developers that had nowhere else to go mm. that are some of them are the product of fallout of, of big game companies kind of disintegrating or imploding based on the cost and, and the, the, the large studio that's needed to produce games in this market. A lot of them have kind of splintered, fractured, fallen apart. And those, the independent guys, I mean, look at Tim Schafer, what he's doing now. Like, he's, he's kickstarting his own stuff. Um, it's stuff like that. And Kickstarter... Man, that's a whole crowdsourcing, crowdsourcing, asking well, people that's contributing to the yeah, sons. asking people for money. That that's that's an it's an amazing thing, and people are kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop for this whole Kickstarter thing to to kill itself. But it seems to be more often than not, at least in these high profile cases, becoming more and more successful and more rapidly successful. Yeah. Which I'm surprised, but I'm happy. <laughs> you know, I. I after the Tim Schafer thing, I was like, well, that's going to be the benchmark. That's going to be <laughs> the thing that no one else is going to be able to do as fast. But every other project that gets high-profile coverage on a website like Kotaku or, or Destructoid immediately meets their funding. Right. It's amazing. Well, because they're giving gifts. It's not just, hey, give me $30 for nothing. Right, no. Getting and, something and that's back. the good thing about it is that these developers are promising either... You know, they not only do you get access to the software, but you get, you know, bonuses. You're going to get what you pay for. It's not like we're just asking for your money and giving you nothing. Right. You're going to get the finished product if you're paying at that level. Um, you're going to either, you know, you pay $100, you're going to get that Ouya system. It's not like you're just, we're just asking you for money to pay our, our you know, electric bills <laughs> as we develop this thing. Like, when it comes out, you know, you've essentially already paid for it, and Man, all I can say is renaissance. This is new renaissance. This is the same stuff that was happening. For those of us that lived through the game crash of the 80s, the 8-bit computing era, people were doing this stuff in their garages, in their in their offices. They were they were doing homebrew before it was called homebrew, and a lot of those guys became big names in the late 80s, early 90s. And then in the era of NES, Genesis, uh you know, they kind of got lost in the influx of Japanese, mm. the kind of industrialized gaming revolution that happened where everything was walled off. And, you know, they, they kind of got lost in the shuffle. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the, the motivation to... Oh, or, 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 the, or the, the means. Villains. Yeah, the, the means. The, the, the distribution to get yeah. it out there was now we're all connected. The thing that I love about Kickstarter, and I haven't contributed to dozens of projects, but the thing that I love about it is... Going back to when we were growing up, there would always be things I would look at or I would think of, like, how come they don't make that? Yeah. Like, why don't they do this? Or why don't? And of course, I mean, it, it would just be way too expensive. I saw one, I saw a Kickstarter for a guy who was sell, who's to sell a small, very inexpensive 3D printer kit. You build the 3D yeah. printer yourself. And the thing that I love like, about Kickstarter is now I don't have to look at something and go, you know, hey, how come, you know, imagine if they made it like this instead of like that. Why don't they make... 
because now they are. And if enough people are thinking the same thing I'm thinking, it actually will get me. And that's awesome. Yep. All right, we done? I'm sweating to death. All right. So who's Ponch Stevenson, by the way? This is the take place of the Angry Video Game uh, interview. Stiffed us. What? Oh, you brought, I'm holding you brought him out, James, to... Uh... No, no, when he was here. Yeah, you were supposed to meet with him, and he wouldn't do. We the did, or... and it was the end of the night, oh. and he's like, ah, it was, it was tired. Like that day where it was no, the first time he was here, we were going to, but he he had to go to some band practice or something, and we left and figured, oh, well, he'll come back. That's my fault. He's not that. He's not that popular. Not that, yeah, right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this schmuck. Uh, Once he got past a thousand other people, I'm sure you know he's, he'll feel fine to do an interview, fresh, yeah, chipper. <laughs> All right. All right, let's go. What are we, Am I holding what are we this? What are talking sure. about? <clears throat> right. Come on. <laughs> oh, no, I'll hold no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> give me, give me. All right, Robin. None of this will be edited out because we'll edit. He says that he edits it and then lies. Leaves it in. <laughs> 